Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. You don't have the ego structure to handle it. You think it's definitive when your father calls you stupid. Oh, I guess I'm stupid. Hmm. That's what got me started on my men's work. Because a lot of men have been called stupid by their fathers. And they spend the rest of their life trying to prove that's not true. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. A weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. This week's episode is an extra special one. Our guest is Father Richard Rohr, best-selling author, spiritual mentor to thousands, and the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation. I had the privilege to interview Father Richard for our program called The One Thing. And today we're sharing the entire interview, including an additional 40 minutes of the conversation that was not played during the program. I cherish my time with Father Richard and what he shared about the invaluable power of humility as a leader. I also asked him the secret to life. You're going to want to stick around for that. Welcome to the uh, Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we are here with Father Richard Rohr. Father Richard, uh, before we get started, uh, all the cards on the table. All uh, right, let's do it. <laughs> you are very influential to me. Uh, I started, really? I started, yeah, I started reading your books. The first book I remember reading of yours was your Enneagram book when it oh. first came out. All of your books have been helpful to me uh, with wow. my background spiritually, but also I've noticed just in my career, helping me kind of navigate really? through life. So. That makes me so happy. You make my day. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> good, because I'm going to talk to you for an hour. So uh, right. hopefully you'll say the same thing at the end. Right? <laughs> I'm going to focus most, mostly on your book, uh, Falling Upward, because I think it relates so much to leadership. My first question for you is, uh, I'm a story guy. I love storytelling. And uh, you talk about myth a lot. Yes. And uh, in our culture, I think myth often means myth. lie. It's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> so could you talk about the positive side of myth and what you mean when you talk about living a myth or having a myth? You know, the much longer lasting definition of myth, mythos in Greek, it comes from the root of the word um, mystery or mysterious. It's that which cannot be talked about. And the reason it cannot be talked about is it's too profound. It can be put into the left brain. Uh, and so it has to be communicated in the form usually of a parable or a story. And all great teachers in the Middle East and East understood that. In the West, we became rather literal and linear. And we wanted everything to be systematic philosophy, systematic theology. So we, we turned the meaning of myth around exactly the opposite. Instead of something that is always true or deeply true, it became a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So I'm, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Because unless that's clarified, you're no way prepared to understand the great myths of history, like the Iliad and the Odyssey or, or the parables of Jesus either. Is it fair to say that we all sort of live with our own myth, like in our mind, even though if we may not realize that? That's right. It's largely unconscious. It's held by our family, our culture, and we imbibe it with our mother's milk. It's our worldview. Now, uh, like I have to say it in our country, that's capitalism. It's life is all quid pro quo. Buying and selling. You get what you deserve. If you sin or uh, commit a crime, you deserve punishment. Mm. And when you move out of that quid pro quo world, basically Americans don't agree with you. (laughs) And it's not their fault. It's the way everything, and I mean everything, is shaped. Yeah. But, But it's unconscious. We just 
think that way. You know? yeah. And we think because everybody else does, it must be true. I know you're uh, you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's work and oh, uh, yes. have, have looked into that. So if we think about uh, the idea of we're all on a hero's or a heroine's journey, mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk think about leadership in that regard. But um, could you just explain to folks that may not be familiar with that what what that means to kind of feel like we're all on our own journey? You know what? I heard a recently a good definition of wisdom, and it's people who are pattern recognizers, hmm. who recognize the patterns behind the daily anecdotes. And I think the reason it hit me, this was just last week, is I realized that might be my gift. Hmm. I because I'm not an intellectual. I'm really not. Yeah. I got B's in school. I, uh, But by the grace of God, I seem to recognize what keeps recurring as the pattern. Mm. And we call that in philosophy or theology, the perennial tradition. Mm-hmm. Or the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you want Christian language. That are the collective unconscious, if you want psychological language. Or myth, if you want anthropological language. It's all the same thing. Mm. The patterns that keep recurring because they're perennial truth. And, you know, if something is true, well, it can't just be Catholic truth or American truth or or Russian truth. Mm -hmm. If it's true, it's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true everywhere. And what wisdom teachers are, and leaders are people who discover the truths that keep recurring. Uh, The one I usually use as an example is forgiveness. I don't care what religion you are, what age you are, what what, uh, developmental level you're at, forgiveness works. Hmm. Forgiveness heals. It just is true. Hmm. And what's been amazing to me as a Catholic Christian, is that a lot of non-Christians seem to know this better than Christians. Yeah. <laughs> it's rather disappointing in a way <laughs> that we didn't seem to learn some of Jesus' essential teachings. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, though. Did I at all? I just want to think about people's life as their own journey a little bit uh, and the people yes. seeing this. Um, and you, you use the phrase second half of life in your book, Falling Upward. Uh, two halves of life. Uh, two halves of life. Could yeah. you talk a little bit about what that means to you to have two halves of life? Well, the term I got from the Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. And there's many other people who've spoken about stages of life into the modern period. But uh, his I still find the most simple and the most clarifying. He says there's basically two. The first one, you're building your, let's call it your ego structure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he uses that word. Freud would use that word, I guess. You're building your sense of self. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a few successes to do that. You, You can't just be defeated. You need it especially in your early, uh, pre-teen years and teen years. Mm-hmm. When Jesus says it's better that you have a rock tied around your neck and you're thrown into the sea, if you defeat one of these little ones, that you can't be defeated early because you don't have the container. You don't have the ego structure to handle it. You think it's definitive when your father calls you stupid. Oh, I guess I'm stupid. Mm. That's what got me started on my men's work because a lot of men have been called stupid by their fathers and they spend the rest of their life trying to prove that's not true. So when you've spent too much time creating your ego structure, you think that's the only task there is. And this is our uh, 
mania, if you'll allow me to call it that, for being rich, for being famous, Mm -hmm. for living in the right part of town, for driving a big car, for having a trophy wife. That's all, that's all first half of life stuff. It's not wrong, but it's not wisdom either. It's not going to work to finally satisfy the soul. Yeah. Or your need for meaning. And that's, go ahead. It's not to interrupt, but that's almost everyone watching this is in the middle of, uh, yeah. they work for a big corporation. They own their own that's company. A, they've uh, yeah. advanced through their careers to a place where they yeah. are leaders now and there are other people look up to them. Uh, so, I mean, it's very timely to this audience uh, where many of us may be asking, what was it all for? And, um, or might be feel like we're kind of trapped in a cycle of success. Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. Very good. (laughs) And no one is around telling us that that's what's happening. Yeah. The people who tell you that's happening are called elders. Hmm. And we're a society with a lot of elderly people, but not a lot of elders. Hmm. Because we have elderly people who are still living in the first half of life, Hmm. still seeking ego affirmation, more money, more classy cars. and I'm not trying to be moralistic. I'm just saying in terms of the soul, well, you've heard the, the definition the addicts give. When you want more and more of what isn't working. If, if, if your success was really satisfying your soul, you wouldn't need more of it all the time. You wouldn't need more climbing if you knew who you were at rung three. Now, that's the point of the spiritual journey. And why, I might add, your great spiritual teachers, we, you could pick out any of them, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Gandhi, uh, they always leave home. Jesus, they always leave home. Hmm. You've got to leave your normal definition of success given to you by your family and your town. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I left Kansas. It fits perfectly, the modern <laughs> myth. You know, you can't go back to Kansas anymore. <laughs> and I went, of all places, to Cincinnati, yeah. where I was a Franciscan novice. And where 50 years ago this fall, uh, last month, I uh, began a community. But I didn't know I was doing that. It just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. But uh, in both cases, it was away from home where I wasn't following my church's agenda, if I'd be honest, nor the American agenda, if I'd be honest. And new things were able to happen where I didn't need to conform Mm -hmm. to predetermined definitions of success. Now, let me add quickly, and this was only by the grace of God, but neither did I need to be a rebel Hmm. or show how smart I was or that everybody else was wrong. Not that that idea didn't (laughs) flow through my mind, but it wasn't my agenda to be a rebel. That that is not what I'm talking about. It's It's a middle position that is rarely found where you don't need to overreact against the first half of your life. But I knew I couldn't go back to Kansas anymore. And I couldn't go back to Catholic Christianity as usual. Mm -hmm. I still love my, and I do, now I'm 78, still love my Catholic and American friends. I'm one of them. But that agenda as such didn't give me my my agenda. Hmm. It just created the container 
You follow the, yeah. and I was proud of being a Catholic Christian because I experienced good Christianity after the Second Vatican Council. I experienced what was good about America. I really did. It was, it was nothing to be ashamed of, but I learned the dark side. Mm-hmm. And wisdom is when you can hold those two together. Mm-hmm. You know, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, I'm going to pick a number. I don't know that I've ever done this before on film anyway. I think it's less than 3% who know how good something is and how bad something is at the same time and don't feel a need to leave it or reform it before I can grant my signature to it. Hmm. We live in an imperfect world. Hmm. And for me, wisdom is when you are granted the grace to not just forgive a few things, but to forgive everything mm. for being what it is. Yeah. And I mean, your children, your marriage, Anderson Township. <laughs> I know some of you are from there. Uh, the Catholic Church, the Franciscans in my case, mm-hmm. it all needs forgiveness. And then you stop being superior or rebellious. Can you, can you see what a rare... middle position that is. And you only learn that by going on life journeys that lead you into the deeper messages of the unconscious, which we call the soul. Yeah. I know I'm imagining some questions sort of screaming out to me from the audience. Uh, Uh, Yes. uh, All right. Knowing the people watching this. Ask any of them. uh, Is uh, innately what you're saying may may sound very true. Uh, Like, Upon hearing, like, I would like to be like that. I would like yeah, to live that uh, peaceful, sort of tranquil kind of existence. It isn't uh, always tranquil. Yeah. <laughs> it's how it sounds, right? To be sure. To be okay with yourself okay and to be with, okay yeah. with others. Um, and I want to get there, but I also think they may be thinking, I don't have time to go on a, a two year spiritual retreat to the yeah. Himalayas to like find no, myself. And you don't so have to. So, in your daily life, is there a, are there things you can actually do to help yourself progress? from that first half of life to that second half of life, or does it all just sort of happen to you? It happens to you, but it takes considerable work to get out of the way. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to go back to Jesus because I am a Christian. He tells his first followers, uh, James and John, they have to leave their father, the closed family system that gives you all your answers. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you hate them. Well, he says that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and your your nets, your occupation, who's paying your bills? If you can't call who's paying your bills into a critical question, you'll you'll normally be beholden to it the rest of your life. Let, for example, I'll pick on my group, the clergy. Mm-hmm. Once you find out, in effect. Your job as a priest or minister, the church is paying your bills. Well, most become allergic to ever criticizing the church. Hmm. Well, they're not following Jesus that way, who was lethally critical of Judaism. Hmm. And he was a good Jew. He died a good Jew. He loved his Jewish religion and was also critical of it. Hmm. So that's the strange balance that we call wisdom to know how to do both. But as a leader, like this is a, and living in a capitalistic society, we all have jobs and are doing our best to, to manage it through here. I think as, as we begin on our, on our own journey to sort of uh, leave our container, but still live in the day in our daily life, how does that work out? You know, I remember when a, a visitator in the Franciscans every four years, we have a, uh, intelligent holy friar from another province come and interview every single man in the province. And then he addresses us at the end. He's called the visitor. <laughs> and he, uh, he said the most creative men in this province, I was then in the Cincinnati province, mm-hmm. uh, have all, all live on the edge of the province. If you want creative people in your company, 
You won't demand too much conformity. Too, you don't want yes men, but neither do you want rebels. Can you find that sweet mm-hmm. spot? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. The sweet spot between rebels and conformists. Now, a lot of supervisors don't have the courage to allow a little bit of critique. Mm-hmm. And you, you can recognize the difference when a man is ego-led and wants power and he's just trying to topple the present power structure. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. They're a waste of time. Don't, don't, give, them, <laughs> don't give them your time because they're not trying to topple power uh, because they have a good analysis. They just want the power themselves. Yeah. And after a while, you can tell the difference. Those who want the power themselves and those who've discovered a new kind of power, the power of creativity, the power of wisdom, the power of positive critique. But now we've got a word for that. We call it appreciative inquiry. Have you heard that? I have not heard that. It's really another word for contemplation. Hmm. People who can inquire, but in a positive way, Hmm. not a negative way. It's so rare that it's hard to describe. Yeah. The way I think about transitioning, first of all, people can uh, live more in the second half of life and be younger or older. It's not chronological. That's right. It's not chronological. And I believe you said that uh, things like failure and pain uh, are the are the things in your life that help you progress quicker. Um, is, is that fair? They're like a shortcut on your computer. If you want to get there yeah. quickly. Now, it all depends on what you do with it. Yeah. So there's a path of you need to fail. And it's interesting that the 12-step program uses the word recovery. Mm-hmm. It's the very word Jesus uses. Mm-hmm. You have to fail and recover. There's teachers. And now I'm going to get to my way of saying this. Forgive me. <laughs> I'm not pushing my own stuff. It's all right. This is called the wisdom pattern. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom pattern is order. Most people teach from the first order they were taught. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually call them conservatives, right? <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. It's a nice way to start. But you're not a wisdom teacher yet. Now, young rebels uh, teach from the second, which is they've discovered the cracks in the armor. Mm-hmm. What's wrong about America? What's wrong about Christianity? What's wrong about men? What's wrong about gay people? It's always, they think they're geniuses because they discovered what's wrong. Always about someone else, all right? right. <laughs> now, now, those just stay in the second box of disorder. Eternal critique. That's most of our young world today. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to work with some millennials, not mine here. They're wonderful. But, well, as a uh, Gen Xer, it was my 20s as well. Yeah. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting yeah. after a while. Yeah. You say these people are not going to do anything for anybody mm-hmm. except keep stirring the pot of disorder. She's wrong. He's to blame. They're sinners. They're outside. They aren't right. They're heretics. I've been called a heretic my whole life. And yet, believe it or not, I'm still in very good standing. People who talk from order, they don't have much to say because it's not critical analysis. People who talk just from disorder, all they do is critically analyze. And you get tired of it after a while. They're all in their heads Mm -hmm. is the way you'd say it. Mm -hmm. And they're negative. What we want to look for is people in the third box who've, who have fallen and recovered. I call that reorder. Then you can strengthen the brothers and the sisters. Mm-hmm. Do you see the wisdom in that? Mm-hmm. Then you have something to say. Then you're a leader. But if you haven't gone through at least one major crisis that I'm going to say it as strong as I can, that defeats your natural egocentricity. Mm. In Hinduism, this is all written up 
several thousand years before Christ in a classic text called the Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. I know Christians think they're not supposed to read it, but it's eternal wisdom. He's teaching Arjuna how to give over the reins of the chariot to a higher power, as the 12 steps would call it. Mm. And the whole book is on that. We all have the reins of the chariot. We think we're running the show. We're guiding it by our own intellect, our own strong will. When the language switches from intellect and will to a moment of very real surrender to a power that we don't even understand, what 12-step people call the higher power, or um, who was he? Who was that teacher? Anyway, he called the switching of sources. Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wayne Dyer. He said, until you find your real source, you don't have much to say. Mm-hmm. They're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. The switching from this ego, which must suffer a definitive death. Yeah. And then when you recover from that, and you know what your source really is, now you've got something to say. Because you're out of the way. With all, light of what we've said, is, is you would imagine... If you're giving advice to a younger person who's trying to decide if they want to follow someone, what do you think is that one thing that you look for in a leader that makes them uh, trustworthy? Well, it might seem overly simple and maybe too Franciscan, but I don't think so. I'm going to name it humility. When you've encountered the great mystery, call it God, call it the mystery, the truth, whatever. You're always humble. Hmm. You're always humble because you know that you don't know. The most you touched upon was a part. Hmm. And you're humbled by that encounter that, that the rest of your life will still be discovery. And such people are curious. They don't have answers. They have questions. Hmm. And I mean that. I'm not trying to be clever. The smart people I've taught, spiritually smart, always have questions. Hmm. The stupid people I've I've tried to feed always have answers. Hmm. And they're too quick answers. And what we did wrong in seminaries, Catholic and Protestant, was give young men, usually women now, the impression that they had to have answers, Mm. that they had a right, a right to absolute answers Mm. so they could look smart and in charge. Uh, You will be humble and you'll know that life is a journey and you're on it too and you're an accompaniment to people on that journey. You're a guide, you hope. But you, I haven't died definitively yet. So I don't know about what's on the other side. And, and we ministers have talked as if we do. Hmm. I believe in the promises of Jesus in my case, but even that's a leap of faith. Hmm. And if we'd be a little more honest about that, I think we'd talk with people humbly, inviting them. So when you don't see humility, and and the giveaway of that is, can they accept criticism? Mm. And I'll be honest, I've been the head of organizations most of my life now. I got started early with New Jerusalem. I I was 28 when New Jerusalem started in Cincinnati. And I didn't know what I was doing, but so I had to hand it over to God and let God teach me how to teach them. But uh, if not for that, I, I, I think I would have really relied upon my own intelligence, mm-hmm. would have relied upon my own willpower. It wouldn't have been the, the language of uh, handing over mm. 
wouldn't have been the language of surrender or trust. You know, one of the most unfortunate things we did in our interpretation of, of Christianity is we let the word faith mean being certain. It's exactly the opposite. Hmm. Where you're not certain, that's what faith means. <laughs> I don't need to know even. I know enough to not need to know everything. Hmm. Those are the people who know, ironically. Yeah. And they're the good teachers. They'll invite you uh, to accompany them on this unfolding journey. And at the end of their life, they'll still be discovering. They'll still be uncovering. They won't be trying to get you to join their team, the Catholic team, the Methodist team, the evangelical team. That's first half of life talk. And it's fine. It's necessary even. But don't stay there too long <laughs> or you never get to the big questions. Let me tell you, the people who are speaking some of the greatest wisdom today are hospice workers. Hmm. They're, they're just amazing wherever I go. They didn't go to a seminary. They went to the seminary of life and death. Yeah. And they accompanied people at that hour, and that became their teaching. They're brilliant about what is and what matters and what lasts. We need a new kind of seminary. We call our school here a living school. Hmm. And ironically, the living school, like our initiation rites, which I started 30-some years ago, teach for a young man, teach you how to die. To die, if, if I had to summarize in, in one sentence what all of the great world religions, if I had time, I think I could prove it to you. All of the great world religions at the higher levels, the mystical level, the non-dual level, the contemplative level, the holy level, which is the whole level, teach you how to die before you die. Hmm. Now, what is it that has to die? Thomas Merton called it the false self. Uh, after Freud, we call it the ego. Mm -hmm. I'll just call it who you think you are. Mm -hmm. Who you think you have to be to be rich and famous and beloved. That just has to go. I'm sorry. No question about it. Once you've died before you die... Then, as my father, St. Francis, put it, the second death can do you no harm. Mm. Let me just throw out a few people that are probably seeing this, just generalities, right? So we have a 25 up-and-comer at a Fortune 100 company is watching this, wanting to become a better leader. A 40-something uh, woman who started her own startup and now it's suddenly going well and she is achieving her dreams. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, someone in their late fifties who's asking, do is it, I, I feel like I got one more run in me, really solid 10 year run with my career. Is this what I want to be doing? So like, those are the sort of people watching this, thinking about their career and their pathway. Cause that's what today's about. Sure. And what, what advice would you, would you give folks when they, when they hear that inner voice start to question, am I doing this right? Uh, is is my ego is my ego in this too much? What what do we need okay. to do when we hear that inner voice? I don't want anything I'm saying to take away that good ambition, mm -hmm. because the people who are willing to die for the system are the same ones who are willing to die for good things too, mm -hmm. apart from the system. So it's how do you turn? Unholy ambition into holy ambition is the work of the middle of life. So don't hear me as saying, leave all things, except interiorly enough to listen to that inner voice. I, I can't think of a great biography I ever read that wasn't about that. Hmm. Learning how to still do it but not 120% anymore hmm. because I see it isn't, it isn't the whole truth. It isn't the whole picture. 
It isn't my whole life. It's the first half. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit uh, from the faith tradition I grew up with? We didn't use the word vocation. No, uh, it's a Catholic yeah, word. But could yeah. you talk a little bit about, uh, to us, it means your job. It wasn't spiritualized. Yes. Yes. Um, but we are at a time, uh, we have uh, more people are quitting their jobs, looking for new jobs right now yes. than any time in really our lifetime. So Ever. What, what, when you generally think of people and the career path they choose and when they question it, do you have thoughts on what sort of questions we ought to be asking as we're trying to decide you know, how we want to make a living, where we want to work, what we want to do? Is this new voice that you're hearing, is it ego-led or soul-drawn? Mm. If, if it's motivated by guilt and fear, it's ego-led. <laughs> it really is. Uh, how can I make more money? Or how can I be more famous? Mm -hmm. uh, not that that can't be a question, but not the first question. Mm -hmm. You just can't. It will destroy your soul. All the great religious masters weren't wrong when they said that. Uh, but that it can be a question, yeah, I think. If, if you aren't allowed to do the first half right, mm -hmm. you won't do the second half either. It's my living experience mm -hmm. working with people. So they've just got to... Listen to what that voice is saying. What, what's their real motivation? Hmm. What's their real uh, desire? The deeper desire of the heart. The deeper desire of the body. Uh, it can't be all in the head. The false answers will be all in the head. Hmm. Where, where the ego usually situates itself. Thinking it through. Figuring it out. Um, how do you teach this? As you see, I'm still struggling. Yeah, yeah. Having tried my whole life, uh, it's, it's, it's taught by the Spirit, by people who are ready to be taught. Yeah. And that's all I would tell people. Be ready to be taught. Good. And the teacher will arrive. Which sounds like humility again. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try to phrase this question as I go. So uh, you're allowed to say pass if it makes no sense. No, okay, I'm okay. Try. Well, you're, uh, I'm the one you should say pass on. I feel like all my answers aren't adequate. But go ahead. Here, here's my, uh, we live in a corporate world where um, certain spiritual things are encouraged now in certain places uh, to have, uh, some companies have meditation or moments of silence. Or yes. They encourage certain practices that might uh, in the past been seen as religious. But on the flip side, uh, we are uber careful not to bring our religion to our workplaces uh, because yeah. it, it's a dangerous mind, minefield. Yeah. Uh, but we are spiritual beings. So I, I'm just curious. Um, there, so many people watching this are in a position where they know they're a spiritual being, but their work they have sort of thought of as, I don't take my spirituality there. I, I don't take my whole self there because it's not safe sometimes. Like I, I, I don't know how to communicate things around my faith. Uh, and I don't want to talk too much, but I feel like a first half of life person You're is... You're naming well. Go ahead. Uh, but in the first half of life, we have those people that uh, might try to convert someone at their work. And of course, yes. we don't want to live in an environment like that. No. Uh, maybe in your in the disorder, you have people critiquing other people's belief at work. But uh, do, do you see a way or have you seen a pathway uh, in our culture that is increasingly sort of dividing the spiritual from the secular? How how to bring your full self and your spiritual life and your, your whole person uh, to your work. You know, I come back, forgive me, although don't forgive me, <laughs> to humility again. Mm -hmm. I think we're paying the price for several decades of immense Christian arrogance. Mm -hmm. And so now people can't even hear the word God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is even true here, yeah. where you think, oh, aren't they all beyond that? We don't use the word God in some cases because we know we'll offend some people. And it's invaded the whole culture because some people overuse the word God. Karl Rahner, who was a German Jesuit, one of my major teachers, a real 
brilliant theologian. He said back in the early 60s that he recommended we stop using the word God, Gott in his German, uh, for at least 50 years. We're almost there right now. And he says, because no one knows what they mean by that word. They don't. Let's be honest. You know, I, I'm a clergyman. I don't know what I mean by God. I believe in a God, but what is the God I believe in? Um, or they assume when I say God, you assume that I mean what you think. God exactly. Right. You got it. Yeah. And so he was telling us to go on a holy fast from God language. And maybe this is being forced on us now mm-hmm. by people saying, I can't hear it from you anymore because you've misused it too long. I'm sure you've heard this line before, but I've certainly had a lot of encounters, even in big crowds, with agnostics and atheists who take me on and take me to task. And here's the best answer. Tell me the God that you don't believe in. And Always, at least in my lived experience up to now, after they finished describing this monster who tortures people for all eternity, who's making a list and checking it twice and sounds more like Santa Claus than God, I say, brother, I don't believe in that God either. Mm. And they they don't know what to do with that. Mm. What you're throwing out, I threw out 30 years ago. And thank God you got the courage to do it. But uh, you might be living in faith for the first time. Mm -hmm. Faith is the balancing of knowing with not knowing. Mm -hmm. Knowing just enough to not need to know everything. Because someone does know. And the someone who knows is good. And believes I'm good. Now, I was given that. Awareness as a rather young man. That's probably the reason I became a a Franciscan. Mm -hmm. A lot of people weren't given that awareness at at least a convicting level. Yeah. When you're in a moment of doubt or failure. Yes. The world's crashing in. (laughs) What questions ought you to be asking yourself? What do I really believe in? Uh, What really matters? And that's what lasts. Now, what Paul says in Corinthians is only three things last. You know what they are. Faith, hope, and love. And that's pretty good. (laughs) At the end, you are what you have given your life for in one of those three or all of those three categories. Nothing else lasts. What you've hated doesn't last. It's death. That's why hell isn't eternal punishment. It's eternal death. If you've chosen death all your life, God is just saying, well, I'll give you what you want. Apparently you want death. You could have it. I really mean that. And many, many spiritual teachers have said that before me. Back to the Desert Fathers. This goes to the early centuries of the church. So, uh, without suffering, you don't do that. You won't ask what really matters and what really lasts. The two major paths of soul transformation. Since the Stone Age, God didn't just start talking to humanity 2,000 years ago or 200 years ago when America was discovered. (laughs) God has been communicating the God self to humanity since the beginning of time. And the two basic, universal, transformative paths of the soul are great love and great suffering. If you're able to avoid both of them, you won't know what you need to know. You won't. I don't care how many church services you've gone to, how many seminars... I know bishops who haven't loved anybody and who've never suffered. Do you understand? Yeah, sure. Priests, too. I'm sure not. (laughs) 
evangelicals. No CEOs, though. <laughs> no CEOs. Uh, what happens if you start to use your language and accept it and start to think, you know what? I do feel like I am at least moving towards the second half of life. This makes sense to me. I'm, yeah. I'm leaving my container. I'm becoming something different. I'm a little more focused on others than myself sometimes. Very good. That's uh, all. Yeah, that starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And then you realize your boss isn't there or your oh, spouse yeah. isn't there. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you, you still, you still go to work or the people you lead may not be there yet. Um, what, what's, do you have any advice or secrets going about your daily life with the relationships you have when you yourself start to have some sort of maybe call awakening? All I'd say is don't sell your soul for that company store. Because when you ask higher moral questions, higher vision questions, he or she is going to stomp you out. <laughs> it looks like that isn't going to increase the, the bottom, line. bottom line. How'd you know I was going to say that? <laughs> uh, it always will. But, uh, you know, a lot of our Catholic saints have said uh, in various ways, the main cross that they were crucified on was the cross of the church itself. At the church was its great punisher. Joan of Arc burned at the stake mm -hmm. by the church, you know, mm -hmm. is the classic image of that. It's the people you're working with who are very often your greatest trials. Huh? Uh, did you watch that show, Awakenings, that uh, yeah, the, Robin uh, Williams yes, and yeah. Robert De Niro were in? Mm -hmm. I just watched it last night on Netflix. And, you know, this, this humble doctor, played by Robin mm -hmm. Williams, He's breaking all the rules of doctoring. And it's the doctors who fight him every step of the way, even though the living proof is in front of them, these radically healed people of this new medicine. Now, admittedly, it doesn't last, but they will not believe their own eyes. Hmm. All I could think of was the gospel. Jesus healing people right and left, but you didn't do it inside our system. Uh, the yeah. scribes and the Pharisees are saying, you didn't follow our rules. That darn John the Baptist goes down to the riverside and creates his own nature-based initiation rite, having nothing to do with the temple, even though he's the child of the priestly class. You can see why the priests hate John yeah. the Baptist. Yeah, It's always the people who who live, well, the phrase I use here is, this, you have to live on the edge of the inside to be creative and to ask new questions. If you're too far outside, you're going to fight your boss too much. If you're too much of a conformist, you'll offer nothing new to your company. Mm -hmm. And a good bo boss will recognize that. Mm -hmm. Now, a bad boss, he just wants conformists. Mm -hmm. So you've got to ask yourself, what do you want? <laughs> do you want a bigger paycheck or do you want to be a creative truth speaker? That's the questions you should be asking in your 40s and 50s. Before I ask this, uh, you don't need to be humble at all. Oh, good. <laughs> so just let it Comes fly. much more naturally, <laughs> not needing to be humble. Let but it fly. You know those old proverbs, and I think they're in a couple of different religions, where the, the young seeker climbs the mountain to find the wise, aged, uh, uh, the wise man yes, and ask, yes. what, what is the meaning of life? What is the yes. secret of life? Um, uh, I basically would like to do that. So uh, if you had one minute to tell the world from your experience, um, and feel free to repeat anything you said today, uh, but uh, as an elder, which we don't have many uh, right now, uh, what do you feel like is the meaning? Why are we here? The origin and the engine and the goal is love. Anything that's leading you away from love 
critical thinking or exposing the cancel culture, we call it now. What we used to call excommunication now is called canceling. <laughs> it's the same old stupid game. And people who don't think right can be eliminated. Mm -hmm. So if you know the origin of the holy energy is love, the engine that keeps it moving is love, and the goal toward which you're moving is love, you're, you're indestructible. But you just got to keep reminding yourself of that, especially when people attack you and speak evil of you and call you bad words and names. And uh, it's, it's so easy to want to hate and fight back and defend your innocent little self. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the staff here told me that you've got to note the difference between intention and impact. And I always thought, because, well, my intentions are good. <laughs> I always mean well. But Richard, what was the impact when you said that? And the impact was people felt disrespected or unloved. I got to swallow my pride in moments like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, maybe I didn't intend it, but that's what happened. So we are back to humility again. But humility, more than anything else, will keep you on the path of love. So I'm going to repeat it one more time. As the origin of everything came from love, everything is generated forth by love. The goal of all of our lives is love. It's so simple, it's hard to teach. Thank you so much. You're we welcome. so appreciate this. And, oh, uh, you're worth it. And uh, I love you. Uh, well, in that <laughs> mean, thank you. I uh, feel loved. Uh, you have been, uh, I, I always said you were a teacher from afar, and I am so grateful to be able to say that now and you can just be a teacher. got to meet today. Yeah. You're thank beautiful, you so much. God bless you, brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch and learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.